Oh, oh, one more thing. Welcome to Just One More Thing, a podcast about Colombo. I'm R.J. White. And I'm John Morris. Welcome back, everybody. This time around, we're discussing Murder Under Glass, originally broadcast January 30th, 1978, written by Robert Van Skoik and directed by Jonathan Demme, starring, and bear with me here, Louis Jordan, Shira Denise, Richard Dicehart, Francis Nguyen, Michael Gazzo, Mako, a lot of fancy 1970s food, and of course, Peter Falk as Columbo. And each time we're joined by a special guest. This time around, it's Alan McPherson, a chef from Halifax, Nova Scotia, who runs the uh, picnic series of pop-up restaurants there. Uh, but before we bring him on, John, uh, what happened? Let me tell you. Uh, Louis Jordan is restaurant critic Paul Girard, who funds his seemingly lush lifestyle with his own television program, a raft of commercial endorsements, and blackmail. Oh. When it... Ah, when Italian restaurant owner Vittorio Rossi has had enough of Gerard's extortion, he threatens to expose the charlatan, and in return, Gerard murders him with surprise fugu poison in the Margot. It's like the prize in a deadly high-class Cracker Jack box, and it's up to Columbo to solve the plot while getting stuffed to the gills with exotic food at every turn. Who's going to spill the beans? Gerard's mistress, Eve Plummer, played by Shira Denise, the surviving blackmail victims, restaurant owners Francis Nguyen and Richard Dysart, cantankerous chef Albert, or Anthony, not Alan Alda, playing the murder man's nephew. It's a me, Mario! Hey, you don't speak any English, RJ! Hey! Hey, hey, okay. Hey, someone <laughs> served up murder, and it's up to Columbo to clear the table of crime. Ah, oh, thank you, John, and welcome! That was beautiful. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> thank you. Welcome to the show, Mr. McPherson. Um, glad to have you on. Um Hi, now, uh, how uh, you came to our attention was, uh, you wrote in, and you had this um, on your website, picnichfx.com, uh, for, for your uh, pop-up restaurant business. Uh, you do a weblog there, uh, kind of going in and delving into films that have a very huge focus on food, and you wrote like a really, really great column about this particular episode, and I'm wondering, uh, so have you been a Columbo fan uh, for a while then? Uh Almost as long as I can remember. Uh, oh, okay. I was a kid, yeah. And uh, it, it was Make Me a Perfect Murder was my first. And oh. uh, it totally sucked me in uh, from that point on. And and so, and then being being a chef, uh, going into that profession, uh, this episode, when did that one, uh, like, when, like, when did you see it again after you started... Uh, going into that field where you're kind of like, oh, okay, now I'm going to watch it and really pay attention to like those aspects of it. Well, it's been a while. Um, I I do a rerun of, of the classic series probably about once a year. year oh wow! That kind of thing. Wow. So man, yeah, I've seen it quite a few times since uh, since I've been in the biz. Oh my gosh! Wow. Okay. I I've not. You know what? I'm wondering if I'm going to end up doing that after we get done like doing every single episode of the show. If I'll go back and start, or if I was kind of like. I, I've talked about them for 60-odd hours, and I've seen them for, you know, <laughs> more than that. I'm not going to bother watching them until I'm, like, in my 70s or something. There's a bit of a Pavlovian explanation for that with me. Mm -hmm. um, as much as I always used to catch them, like, late-night reruns on cable and such, uh, remember the golden days of the A&E network? Oh, yeah, yeah. They would, re yes, yes. They'd show those in the afternoon block. Right. Oh, yeah. And what I started doing at that time, I was... Uh, I was kind of rocking a borderline fitness addiction, and uh, I, I <laughs> I've never had that problem. <laughs> it's a, it's yeah. a terrible burden that we all have to deal with. Be know? Between RJ and I, we've battled a few addictions, but fitness is yet to be one. Yeah, it's not going to be a problem. <laughs> not planning, not planning, and then that happening. <clears throat> so basically, like I, I would go to the gym in off hours when I could monopolize the TV, and I would go deliberately to like work out while watching Columbo. Actually, you know what? That would actually help me, I think. If I, just, if I just be watching Columbo episodes while I'm doing it, I wouldn't really even notice that I'm uh, just running until my legs are jelly. Well, exactly, right? So, you know, except for the, you know, the health club episode. Oh, right. <laughs> um, yeah. so, so actually, this episode, then, um, as, as someone who's in the business, um, we, we like to have people on uh, sometimes who actually are kind of knowledgeable in the field that, the episode is centered around. I mean, what's your opinion of this one with regards to that? Being it's a restaurateur yourself. 
it, it's it's better than you know, a lot of uh, film depictions of kitchen stuff. They they do a really clever thing right out of the bat where they have much of most of the actual cooking scenes in restaurants occur in primarily the Italian place, uh, but after it's closed. Mm. So you don't have to simulate like what the hustle and bustle of an actual dinner dinner service is, right? Which is a great end run around the more unrealistic uh, kitchen shenanigans that you see. Although to be fair, Columbo's been pretty good with that kind of stuff. Like the the House of Magic uh, episode had quite a few bits in the uh, kitchen there, which I thought was actually pretty well done. Uh, it, it really had sort of the chaos of a turn and burn kind of a place that you know. They're serving food, but clearly food is not their main concern. Where they're <laughs> always bringing in temporary uh, wait staff. And, mm. You know, um, Colombo always kind of played fair uh, with, with those kind of kitchen scenes, but they handled it pretty well in this one, uh, especially with the that, scenes that they were showing. It's like, is that model of uh, what you call the the turn and burn? Is that like? Just how restaurants were kind of run up to a certain point, because I feel like the 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 thing we've seen so often dramatized on kitchen reality shows around shows like Treme, where they very carefully handpick and educate their wait staff, is that relatively new in restaurants, or has that always been a high end thing? I that is um, that is more of an old school European thing, where being wow, okay. a waiter is actually like a trade. Um, it's a career choice that you'll take. It's not something that you do to kill time until like a real right. job. Mm-hmm. Uh, the I would love a, an actual educated, skilled waiter is worth their weight in gold to a restaurateur, and they're so hard to come by. In, in how would you rate? Uh, how would you rate Albert's nephew Mario then? <laughs> played, played by Anthony Alda. See, the half Alda. Anthony Alda, the kind of the half Alda. He's a half Alda. Yeah, that's just I, a half to that, that hairdo, though. Yes, <laughs> kind of. He makes up for it with that hair. Um, the thing. OK. One of my other big fanish things is that I, I really love Italian horror films uh, from the 70s and 80s. Ah, the sort of sub subgenre that you call giallo, which is sort of like this weird mixture of like horror films and thrillers and murder mysteries all kind of mashed into one. And uh Man, that guy just looked like somebody who would have been like the leading man in uh, like <laughs> the in 1975 kind of a thing. So I kept expecting like something really terrible and wacky to happen with him. <laughs> it could have been like he maybe he had like he, that that character uh, back in Italy. He had this entire separate storyline. That's why he had to come to the U.S. because there was some horrible haunted castle or murder or something. Oh, yeah. And so he comes. Like he comes here to his uncle's. He comes here to his uncle's place. He comes here to like uh, Frankie Pantangeli's place. Uh, I'm getting away from all that. And they're like, nope. Nope. You're, you're <laughs> sorry. It's following you. Sense. He's cursed. That's the problem. This is his show in Italy. They follow him <laughs> yes, around the world. Exactly. Encouraging murders instead of solving them, <laughs> just accidentally facilitating them. Um, actually, uh, that that's uh, the, you, you brought up in your summary of the episode. One of my favorite things uh, scenes in this episode. Actually, it, it follows throughout the rest of it. Um, it really gave Peter Falk a chance to play up uh, Columbo's Italian heritage and speaking right. Italian, being Italian, and like, loving being Italian and everything else. Because, yeah, that that uh, that initial scene where he comes in and he's he's questioning him. He goes, Assassino! And, like, the kid, and then right. he's, like, touching his face, like, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. And, and then, But then, like, throughout the rest, he's, like, a good friend of Columbo's because he's the only one actually seems to understand what he's saying, can communicate with him, is actually right. being a good guy to him, that sort of thing, which... I love that in this. This is the second time I, I think I think maybe out of only two they've had Columbo being very Italian with another uh, native Italian speaker, and the oh. other one was, was back in um, the Pat McGowan episode. Yes, 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 yeah. And that, now you see him, I believe, right? Yeah, that was it. Yep, and with, with the grapes. Very with much the, the same grapes. thing. He's very expressive and very yeah. bold. And that's a great thing to watch Peter Falk perform. Oh, he lo- oh it's wonderful. Columbo is so quiet. Yes. Oh, it's wonderful. But then it's this, a nice bit too. Uh, it's not so much Italian speaking, but in the uh, the other sort of foodie episode, the uh, any old port in a storm. Ah, that's one of the reasons why he gets involved in the case. We're there at first. It's a missing persons case, but he does make the you know us Italians got to stick together. Oh right, yes. Kind of pops out oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it seems like yeah. It's whenever he got a chance to to have put that in a, an episode, it seems like you know, he he can tell he's enjoying it a little bit more. But then also, I mean, this episode in general, it it seems like it it's played it, the whole character of Columbo is kind of presented differently in a way that that's it kind is. of yeah. You rarely get to see him indulge that much in his non homicide related interests. Yeah. Like he'll mention it, but he was—he loved food in this episode in yes. a way that, which is so strange because in in, in other episodes it, it's kind of a running joke that you know he goes to Bert's Chili Joint and just has crummy right. chili in a diner, or he's just grabbing a hot dog at the um, uh, Mass Transit theme park right. or something <laughs> like that. Theme park. And this one, he has this deep abiding knowledge. I mean, like he acknowledges in the the the, the, the first thing, you know, like oh, well, Mrs. Colombo, she's not really a good cook. She lets me do it. And so he everything that comes up when he's in the in the in the back of house, like oh the Richard Dysart's restaurant, you know that that dish comes and he knows exactly what's in. It. He's like oh is that you're using this and that's like he's able to identify everything and he's just excited and enchanted by it. But he actually knows a lot about it, which I think is interesting to add that to the character when you've just kind of known him as a guy who eats junk food up to now. And he's excited right. about it. Too, oh, he's right? very excited about it. Yeah, he's enjoying all that attention to detail and. Uh... And, which is, of course, it's one of the things I mentioned in my article. It's a stark contrast to Paul Gerard. Oh yes, yeah. I'll go go into a bit about that because you brought yeah in your article, which uh, we'll we'll link on the site too for sure. Um, but yeah, just uh, go into that a bit because I thought that was a really really interesting point uh, to set that up between those two guys. Well, that's it. Like Gerard is also he picks apart all the food that he eats. You don't actually get to see him eat too much in the show, but he. Uh, the chef Albert feeds him something early on in it, and he's kind of like intellectually dissecting it. And there's no gustatory joy of him actually eating the food. He, he's just showing off that he can identify the specific I, elements. That's it. Exactly. Like he recognizes there's juniper in it, and he congratulates him on including that because he was able to figure that out. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whether it tastes good or not, that's totally secondary to, to Gerard. Yeah. He's. Yeah, he's a bit of a dick. Oh, huge! He's terrible. He's a terrible guy. In fact, I I held off on on watching this one uh, for the longest time because Louis Jordan always creeped me out. I never something about the guy always kind of threw me off. Well, but in Jesus, watching man. this, yeah, that's a huge part of it. I was going to ask too. What you what, since we recently lost uh, Louis Jordan is what was what's the his role that most sticks in your mind? Gigi. Gigi. Oh wait, Gigi and um, Octopussy. I'm gonna. Oh. I gotta. I gotta tell you, it's Anton Arcane from Swamp Thing. Oh right, God! I forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh no, no, no! One. I know. No, it's a huge. Yeah. No. Right. Gosh, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I have not seen that for. Oh goodness. <laughs> so just it's all villains except for I guess Gigi. I think he's yeah, played almost exclusively off. villains. Yeah. Exactly. Oh Most weird. Yeah. Oh my goodness! But in this, even though he's the killer uh, f- from the get-go, I-, I just found myself charmed by the guy. Like that that initial scene where he's uh, doing the uh, the photo shoot for the uh, Ritz cracker analog. He's yeah. just like, oh, what 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 a jaunty Frenchman! He, he's being so charming there. Oh, and I had, I had a crackpot theory too about that scene. Hit it because those uh, the crackers he's selling—they're pretty much Ritz crackers. Of the time, that's exact box design, just a different name, everything else. And at the same time that this episode was being made and put out there, uh, Ritz Crackers, their main thing was this ad campaign with uh, Andy Griffith being all folksy. And like, oh, I put anything on a Ritz Cracker. So it just seems like, I don't know if they were doing some sort of commentary on like, okay, well, Ritz Crackers for real has this, you know, uh, Andy Griffith, uh, Andy Taylor there selling them. But then here's this very uh, urbane, erudite, uh, fancy guy in a tux selling them on our fake version of them. So I don't know if that was a thing for them or not, but it just it's just what it kind of reminded me of when I saw it. It is such a it is such a weird thing to see a food critic pimping Ritz, but I think maybe we are trying to they are trying to express that he has no ethics whatsoever. Oh yeah, no yeah, that guy. This guy is so evil he'll sell Ritz crackers. He probably has a line of knives. 
Oh, uh, probably with this, with <laughs> with this, with this like outline drawing on on the like, the clear plastic box with his like signature. I'm sure he has some, and they fall apart after three months. The like the wooden handles come off. Hmm. It's etched in the blade. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. I actually, uh, relatedly, I'm out shopping for saucepans right now because I kind of uh, destroyed one accidentally, and uh, the Rachel Ray ones. Actually, uh, they looked kind of nice. They're like little fake cru- like croissants. Like oh yeah, croissants. I've seen them. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. But her name is like counter embossed into the handle. Oh, and I think actually too, they've got this uh, special uh, material. So whatever you cook, her signature actually shows up in the bottom of it. If you make if you make eggs in it, her egg the eggs turn into her face. Yes, it's it's like those toasters you get that show little pictures. Any food you make her, it's it's going to be that. Yeah. If you if you buy the Rachel Ray waffle iron, then she visits you in the night. Yes. Oh God. <laughs> okay. Well, that took a turn. And tomatoes and pouring them on you. Yeah. <laughs> right. It just becomes a scene from Tommy. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah. The, so in our continuity, Rachel Ray is a, is a night Goliath of some sort. Anyway. <laughs> Jesus. Like <laughs> that, that got weird. Oh. So uh, uh, something I didn't really touch on that I, I wanted to make sure we addressed was not only is he a murderer and a uh, an extortionist, not really a blackmailer. He's extorting money from yes. the restaurants for reviews. From only uh, three, from only three restaurants, the entire greater Los Angeles area, only three restaurants allow him to have a ton of money. How well are these restaurants doing? But anyway, 50, that's 50 percent. He said. No, I thought it was like 40 percent. Was it 50 percent? Still a lot. But then, but then these restaurants are doing astoundingly well, too. Yeah. To be making that much dough. Well, Maybe. I mean that's kind of the thing too. Like, what was the uh, the fellow who ended up getting killed? Uh, oh, Rossi. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really, you do kind of get the feeling that he only put his foot down about all this, not because he was sick of paying the money, but because he actually did feel slighted about the whole rewards dinner thing. Yeah, that was probably part of it. Yeah, he wasn't entirely. Yeah, it seemed to me that they were all pretty happy with that arrangement. But like, he just he finally reached his breaking point. Like, all right, not doing the awards dinner. Fine, we get the we get the the awards dinner, and they do that. You know, while they're playing the orchestral version of uh, this old man, right? Yes, they have the parade of food, which is delightful, but. It also shows you what kind of what kind of business he would have been doing. It's a tremendous amount of high end food, right? At this event, so he would have made a fortune on it. So that's a good thing for him to be angry about. Well, I mean, unless you have like all of the restaurants kind of going into it, though. So I don't know. No, I think I think that's a catered event. I think you. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I think that was. I, I wouldn't negotiate that contract to uh, to do that kind of a benefit or uh, event in place that i was running and not get exclusive food rights to that yeah well but also that that huge dinner too it makes you wonder how many restaurant critics were there in los angeles at that time because goodness in la i mean come on even this is back when you still them all yes somehow a giant of food criticism it's so that that part to me is like okay well that's a little weird but yeah, whatever. You got to have it for the thing. But yeah, he's a night Goliath of food criticism. <laughs> What's uh, with you with a night Goliath? <laughs> night Goliath is just a monster. I think would be great. Where is it? Is it, is it? Is there really a thing called a night Goliath? Or you no, made I up just a night Goliath a, a couple of years ago, and I just thought that would be a great monster. Goliath it's, it's just by a night. Giant. Oh, yeah. Just a see, giant I like it. I like it better the... like that. Goliath by night. I like that. Either way. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, anyway, I'm eating a dish to night Goliath. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. That's a promise. I'll let you know what it is when I come up with it. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, the thing that Gerard, Paul Gerard does, despite – actually, I think this is true. In every movie where there's a critic, food uh, critic, movie critic, whatever critic, they're not, all, they're not only always evil, but they're always supremely powerful. Yes. Yeah, food yeah. critics especially – Food, theater, film, Yeah. Like in the in your favorite movie Birdman, yes, <laughs> the 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 theater critic in that one is just like hand wringingly evil, right? And also, uh, like possibly can control gravity or something. She has I terrible powers. Guess so. She's she's a night Goliath of theater criticism. 
There's a lot of there. The critic is always a night Goliath. There are night. There are night Goliaths behind every column, John. Behind every corner. Behind every rock. That's what you learn growing up: is that you never know who's going to. We must be vigilant against the night Goliaths. We are the night Goliaths of of Colombo podcasting, and uh, we have to be vigilant against ourselves. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, and finish. To finish my earlier thought before the Night Goliaths interrupted, uh, he's also running a little bank scam. Yeah, launch, that's a that's nuts. It's like it's a little bunko scheme. He's doing. He's Mister Fancy, Mister Fancy uh, Pants, uh, food critic. But he's got this crazy little bunko scheme with like uh, fake names and fake accounts and all this other jazz. Fake uh, corporations set up. It's and bless crazy. Shira Denise. I think this is my favorite Shira Denise episode. She's really good. I've only seen three, but yes, I did like this one a great deal. She has a little bit of a Shelley Duvall about her. You know, you you said that, you told me that um, uh, over email before I watched it uh, the second time, and I totally saw it. The voice, the the, the way she's carried, yeah, all of it, yeah, very, very uh, Duvall-esque. Yeah, Yeah, I think she did fantastic. Yes, yes, she is super cute. I mean, yeah, she's she's great in this. No, no, yeah, yeah, no, she was... And, and the scenes that she had with uh, Falcon, and they were married by this point, I think. Yes. 78, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the scenes she had with Falk were great, too. Uh, were all very fun. Oh, definitely. Great chemistry between Oh, yeah, yeah. It was great. When he uh, he tricks her into answering to the fake name she uses for the Bunko scheme. Yes, very fun. Then the little look they have is just terrific. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, what, What's the thing when... Um, Oh, oh! Uh, when he, when he comes to the place and they've got uh, Mako there, and he comes to their house while they're having the uh, the sushi, a highly enthusiastic Mako. Yeah, and um, she she answers she she answers the door and asks, "Oh, is is, is Mr. Gerard?" And she says, "I'm not sure." And there's a nice pause, and he has this great look on his face. He goes, "Well, is it a big place?" It's just <laughs> such a great sarcastic thing. It's so fun. That scene has my favorite line. Uh, there's two great lines in this. Oh, that that thing. Oh, that that's a great scene in the episode. But yeah, what what are yours? I'm but, gonna uh, see if it's, it's mine. when they when uh, they bring out the fugu and Louis Jordan's character is trying really hard to not oh, let the fugu so, come. Oh, so so de- it's like one of the. It, it's one While of the trying to stay cool and European. Yes, right. It, it's one of the few times you see him lose his, his shit in this episode and look very you nervous. To, you don't need to tell the detective what's up. Yes, yeah. exactly. Oh, he doesn't need to know. Put the food away. We don't. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But Mako says really enthusiastically about the fugu. It's a deadly poison. Yes. And Colombo's yeah. response is to look at a little cockeyed at Paul Girard and say, "Is it?" Yes. It was just amazing. And then after that, uh, um, uh, Mako is so excited because he'd seen like a murder mystery film on the right. plane coming over uh, from Japan. And he asked Colombo, "Does he have a hot? Do you have a hot suspect?" And Colombo just looks straight at Gerard and says, "Like, oh, I've got my eyes on one." <laughs> it's I, I I love those moments in the episodes when it's very obvious and you know it's just a matter of time. And he loves, lets the suspect know, like. I know it's you. I just got to figure out a couple more things, and then you're screwed. I love he those. Has a, there's another line that is much along that same lines, and I, which I also really love, where I think it's uh, when they meet in that open air patio, and Gerard says, "You're getting to be an old acquaintance," and Columbo's response is, "I'm getting to know you too." Ah, uh, yes. Which is another nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Columbo almost has that from the very beginning in this episode. Oh, right? yeah. And, but yes. Gerard walks in and he gives him that 30-yard stare. It's just like, there's no pussy <laughs> flying oh, which, around. It's the moment he sees him. He owns him. Which I I love that that whole weird... It's it's um from from the... Uh, when Gerard and uh, uh, Rossi are sitting down for dinner, it, it feels like The Godfather. It feels like some mafia film. It does. That whole thing. It's in the back room of an Italian restaurant. Everybody else clears out. They have their big fight and everything and then for me that continues on to when you first see Columbo because it's that weird far away shot where the cop goes just whisper in Columbo's ear the Gerard is there there's Mm. that pause Columbo's whispers back and it's still like far away and then Columbo just kind of motions him over like it is some sort of mafia don like letting you come forward which I I thought was really interesting and strange but I liked it a lot it was good direction (laughs) It should, it's always I mean, it's early Demi, but he's showing yeah. it like he's controlling that space with his camera. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 a really great looking episode. And the thing is, like, yeah, I mean, looking it up, 
up to this point, uh, the only things he'd really done, he'd done like a few like uh, Roger Corman films before he did this. Which, I mean, back then, you know, a lot of guys, you know, like uh, Joe Dante. Um, uh, oh, God, who else am I thinking of? Um, um, eight Men Out. Um, ah, I, I'm completely blanking on his name. Uh, go ahead, John. I got to look up the guy. Why can't I remember his name? Oh, John Sales. John Sales. Right. A lot of those guys came up learning under um, under Corman like Corman. that. Yeah. Well, they call it the Corman School. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Columbo is always a cinematic kind of production, but this one felt oh, more like a legit movie. Yes. It's, and the music, helping that the, 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 the music, shots, really the acting. I really talk about the soundtrack. Oh, it's great. Which I believe the soundtrack was nominated for an award. Oh, really? And it's a really unique episode. Do you know what it reminded me of, though, soundtrack-wise, was the soundtrack from, uh, and it's not, this is not going to be a one-to-one comparison, but I'm just talking about how it was, it was slightly asyncopatic every now and again. Mm-hmm. Asyncopatic. Uh, the soundtrack from the, the taking of Pelham 123. Oh, really? Yeah. I would have to see that again to... to, to but, yeah, oh, there's okay. a good excuse to watch that again. Yes, exactly. Right. Like, like, you need one, but yes, any good excuse is a good <laughs> excuse to watch that again. Oh, interesting. Let me let me double check about the award, because I might be wrong about that. But it was a... The, the soundtrack was slightly different, but a lot more... Well, definitely more cinematic. It felt more like a movie. Oh, experience. yeah, no. Oh, like the, the death scene. Uh, Rossi's death oh, yeah. scene. Oh, man. That was it's really loud. It was it was a yeah, it was the the music was great there. His his very dramatic de- yeah, that was that was one of the best deaths I've seen in Colombo, which is a really <laughs> weird list to make up in my head now that I said that out loud. Yeah, that death was alright, but eh. wasn't one of the top 5 deaths. Yeah, no. Uh, anyway. Uh I was going to ask our uh, our guest Alan uh, when the we see so much beautiful 1970s food, I I I would take some of it was beautiful, but some of it was why did they use so much aspic back then? <laughs> Good lord, was that so was much. that normal at that point? Because I, yeah, I, I associate I associate gelatin with you see old cookbooks from like the 50s and 60s, and they use tons of gelatin. They they put everything in a gelatin mold. This one I was surprised to see so much of it. Was that really still in vogue then? I think it may have been on the decline a bit then, but the use of gels and, as you say, aspects in uh, traditional like haute French cuisine uh, was way up there for a really long time. Wow, weird. Oh, yeah, and it's kind of coming back in vogue, too. Oh, so. it is? Oh, dear. Yeah, well, I kind of blame like- Jello for ruining all of that because that kind of that kind of trained our palates to think of that as you know being a, a childlike texture oh okay and as opposed to you know, something that's like full of like meatiness do you do you have a favorite gelatin dish out of curiosity like a savory gelatin oh god uh honestly <laughs> it's probably not a dish it's like if you make duck confit mm. and then you take the duck legs out of the duck fat you get this nice little aspect on the bottom and mm. oh that is that is good stuff. We do we do slow roasted pork over here quite a bit, so we get at our house, and so we get that little gel at the bottom that's that's amazing. And like soup, so we drop it in eggs. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. Throw some of that, and just like if you have a sauce, it's a little bit bland. Throw mm-hmm. a couple teaspoons of that in there, and you got gold. Cooking tips from just one more thing. We'll be back. <laughs> Uh, the uh, next, so next the, up, uh, we'll uh, we'll examine that one with the creepy twins played by Martin Landau. I only oh. I only uh, caught the name of one dish, which was the duck galatine, and then I think at the uh, at the open at the patio there was just caviar and a couple of other fancy things that I don't remember. They had some foie oh, no. gras on there. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Right, it was like a it was like a pizza wedge of foie gras. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. That's not opulent at all. No, that's, that's too much foie gras. I like foie gras. That's too much. <laughs> that's, they you know what? Like six pieces. Yeah. Well, that's they were kind of like a recipe for gout. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, well, that's why Colombo well, likes comfortable shoes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's got problems. <laughs> so he had the he had the dim sum where we learned a little bit about Colombo. Having grown up around the corner from Chinatown, China. yep, yep, back in New York, uh, and uh, we learned about see, his father this... was a cook too in the house. 
Right, his father cooks. So that's where he learned it. That's great. Uh, he. Uh, we also had the crab. St- was it crab stuffed mushrooms or was it just stuffed stuffed mushrooms? I think they were crab. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting pretty good at this. I'm not doing too bad. I think he only ate at three, not counting the meal he cooks at the end, which is a veal parmesan. I think uh, right. No, I think it was just veal. It was veal. Yeah, it, was like a, it was like a veal scallopini. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh, you're right. It was scallopini. Yep. Okay. Well, we're getting the again cooking tips from just one more thing. We're but I mean, but I think, but I think though, it's it's the same thing where those are the ones you saw. But he's always doing work off camera. He's probably was eating at restaurants all over. Yeah. And and let's let's bring that up too. That was a wonderful kind of running thing throughout the episode where he would go to a restaurant, and uh, the back of house folks would just be wanting to give him food and food and food because they wanted oh, yeah. because they were just thankful he was trying to solve the murder of this guy they all liked a lot this yeah mm-hmm. of Ross which I and I think you brought this up in your column Alan that, that was a really nice way they did the whole Columbo uh, class thing that usually comes up oh definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Was, uh, you know uh, where he is traditionally sort of like the voice of the lower class is kind of getting revenge on the 1% in some respects. You can right. look at like that. Uh, and that's your kitchen guys. Yeah. Right? Like they're the hard scrabble, you know, folks who have to really work really hard to get not a terribly large piece of the pie. Right. And uh, they're bestowing these luxuries that traditionally would be given to people like Gerard. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because even even the chefs are who are fairly high ranking in the hierarchy of the kitchen. Or I mean, fairly, they're high ranking. Yes, are are still just being really uh, grateful to Colombo and, and interacting with him. Really, the only bad guy. Okay, even the restaurant owners are portrayed as hardworking, blue collar people. Yeah, well, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, it's really only the credit. Uh, from in terms of like the restaurant scene stuff is when uh, Colombo shows up on the. During a lunch service, I think it is at the uh, the French restaurant that's part of the extortion racket. Right, and uh, he's very keen and he's identifying all of these foods and he's asking the owner or chef if he can help just garnish the plates with parsley. Right. And yeah. The owner is so <laughs> resistant to let him do something as simple as that. Right. <laughs> but he's like, suck it up and let him do it. It's like that. That rang so true. <laughs> well, Columbo Columbo takes a lot of liberties in this episode. That's even unusual for Columbo. He speaks at the at the restaurant awards. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he speaks at the funeral. Yes. Oh, yeah. The funeral. Which, oh, let's, let's, the, the funeral's way, great. Oh, he crashes the funeral. He crashes. Yeah, he crashes. And the, then he gets to he's always crashing funerals. It would dude Columbo loves episode, crashing funerals. Yes. It wouldn't be a Columbo episode if it was if Columbo wasn't being a weirdo at a funeral. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, I, I was. I was. Uh, thank goodness it wasn't like the magic one where they were uh, <laughs> doing the horrible oh, things God. to the casket at it. They just kind of. <laughs> they just kind of were just very angry about whoever the killer was and. Oh, uh, one thing I didn't the first time through. I got the funeral scene, and I knew someone had gotten the you know, the, the traditional um, horseshoe flower arrangement. I didn't realize the second time I saw the banner on it that the that cheesy horseshoe floral arrangement was from Paul Gerard. Oh, he didn't nice. show up, but he sent that thing, <laughs> which was such kind of a really tacky dick move, Absolutely. which I thought was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, still, I'm still really just tickled by. I know you're all mourning the death of your friend, but take a look at this check and just pass it down. Yes, which is not something you do. Because you don't what, ask people to pass out of two people, two people knew what that was, so it went down through so many people. Just kind of looking at like, why am I passing a check down? Okay, here, well, all right. It would just be such a but weird thing at a funeral. Not going to react weirdly to that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, I've got it. Check someone's passing around the funeral. I, am I supposed to be putting how, this in a box? No one pocketed it. I don't understand. Someone's like, oh, thanks. Just puts it in their shirt pocket. Yeah. Doesn't think twice about it. Why would you? Somebody's I could be the Restaurant food. Developers Association. Sure. <laughs> it's a good thing there wasn't like drug abuse in this episode, too, right? Because then it'd be like handing around like spent heroin needles. Well, actually, you, 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 you touched on that a little bit at the end. I have never read any of Anthony Bourdain's stuff. But you said something about how uh, something in Bourdain's book about this period uh, in the restaurant business might explain uh, Chef Albert's shirts. 
Oh man, yeah, that's uh, that's what I would call a, a stage four shirt alert on uh, <laughs> on Albert. I, I'm actually kind of jealous and in awe of that Paisley. Um, he had many of them. He had more than one. That guy, I felt sad for that guy. That guy was a very sad character. Just was he um, ever? That that yeah, that, that nice secret. Favorite line of the sh- of, in the show. Oh, I'm gonna get what? What is it? I got to guess, but what is it? It's the if you're done or if you're done for the night, I'm going to go home and finish getting drunk. Yes, because he right. was just he was just sitting there while Columbo and uh, the Alda were uh, kind of trying to recreate the crime over and over again, and he's just sitting there drinking wine. Just going, this is depressing. This is just yeah. too depressing. But you also get the feeling with that line too. It's like he gets called back to the restaurant after it, you know, after his shift. So he's probably just sitting at home alone in his district. <laughs> yeah, actually, probably. <laughs> and then yeah. they interrupted him to come back. Yes. So it's like, you know, that's Hey, like could you sit there day. and pretend to be your uh, ex, uh, your your late uh, friend and boss? Oh, sure. Why not? <laughs> Got nothing else going on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good Lord. So sad. Still yeah, lovely shirts. Yeah, still lovely shirts, yes. Uh, what else What else we got? You know, oh, I, uh, oh sorry. Talking about Colombo getting fed, going back to the Chinese restaurant. Uh, what was it called? Oh, uh, House of. Oh, what was her la- whatever her la- character's last name was? No, it was called two different things. It was called House of Nguyen at one point. No, it was called Mr. We... House of Choi. Choi, House yeah. of Choi. House of Choi. Oh, House of Choi. Sorry, yeah. that's the actress's name, Nguyen. Yeah, House of Choi. But then when you actually see the sign, I think it's a different name. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't yeah. notice. But anyway, though, so at the end of that scene, first off, there's that great scene where he puts the torn up check. On the table, which is yes. nice. Mm-hmm. But when he gets the fortune cookie at the end, and he he does that cute little avuncular sexy dad thing that Columbo does a lot. Sexy dad? Well. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? He just gets like, he, he reads it, and I don't even remember what the fortune was. It was some innocuous thing. Oh, there are many more fish in the sea. Oh, and right. He, it's always that one. It's never something like, uh, what? Like when I find money or something? I yeah. Don't know. But it was it was him just being really cute, or something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. Uh, Yeah, let's see. That's the kind I always get. Once I would like to say I'm going to be rich and go away on a long trip. Yeah, and he really leans in on her, and he's smiling, and he's being very cool and relaxed. And he, it's something he does every now and again with uh, female witnesses, even female suspects sometimes, which I fucking love because it means Columbo is is still kind of playing a little bit. Oh dear! Yeah. Oh my! It's not he's not taking nobody home, but you know you get a you get a glimpse of he's... why uh, young Kate Mulgrew really took out her. <laughs> <laughs> Twelve year old Kate Mulgrew oh. for Lieutenant Columbo. Oh, I wasn't I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> I wasn't ready for you to drop in a Mrs. Columbo. I don't think Kate Mulgrew was ready for that either. Oh dear! <laughs> somewhere <laughs> somewhere she has had a little bit of a twitch. Like, oh, what was that? Eventually, when we get around to Undercover, the, the much-discussed 90s episode, uh, he's got a scene with Tyne Daly. Oh, really? Where he is... Is she the killer he, in that? No, she's not. She's oh. just a... She's, she plays a hooker She's, she's Cagney. No, Lacey. Right. <laughs> she's Lacey. The disdain in your voice when you corrected him, RJ. No, I, I corrected myself. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, so, yes, I would have disdain in my voice when I correct myself. <laughs> Nothing but will. disdain. But uh, he his affection goes well beyond merely you know charmingly avuncular. It's it's uncomfortable. Ah, well, interesting. Do, when we get to it, it'll be something worth discussing. But a great yeah, performance great. by Tyne Daly, nonetheless. Oh, well, good. Just to jump in there with like the way Columbo occasionally intrudes on people's personal spaces, you'll probably get to it uh, eventually with the uh, the Commodore uh, episode. But the way he even does that to like Robert Vaughn. Oh, oh God, no! It's really <laughs> See, I've heard nothing. I've heard nothing but bad about that episode. But then him, him uh, being uh, getting uh, creepy and intimate on Robert Vaughn is even like, oh, <laughs> how uh, could you resist? I don't know. I, I never honestly liked that episode up until I don't. It's probably a product of me like getting older and the needle going past forty, but. uh I, I don't see that particular episode as so much an aberration of the Columbo formula as much as a, a Columbo art film adaptation of the themes of Ibsen. And, <laughs> wow. 
It's uh, it's its own animal, and I have. I think I think we've all thought that out. Let's be fair. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the main criticism, actually, is that it's just too obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's Uh, somebody's gonna bring. I'm I'm looking at my notes to think about find some other stuff because. I'm all out of my favorite quotes except for one, which I I really love. Michael Gadzo running around just yelling "va va." At young Mario, that just was crappy. Yes, oh my god, yelling and his voice just gets rumblier and rumblier to the point where it starts to sound like a Jurassic Park noise. Yeah, this episode wouldn't have been able to stand him being in it longer than he was. Oh, it's a good thing he was murdered. Yes, yeah, Yeah. he would. It sounds like he would have died anyway. (laughs) Yeah, just being angry and (laughs) raspy. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about the murder a little bit. Right. Um, how I the one thing that's odd to me is that you never see him slipping and they never do the obvious him slipping and switching uh, the cartridge or injecting the poison into uh, the cartridge uh, for the wine opener, which seems strange to me because other other episodes of the show you see that happen. You see the actual murder. This you. You don't actually see him physically do it in the moment, so it's a little strange to me that they didn't do that. Like the actual act of him injecting yeah. the poison. This is the actual mechanism of it. Yeah, you see him getting it ready in his kitchen. Then he goes to the dinner, and at some point during the dinner, when you weren't watching as the audience, he did it apparently, which I thought was kind of odd. It's a little yeah. unusual. It's weird to show, and maybe they cut it, but it is weird to show so much preparation and not actually show the delivery of it. Right. Yeah. Right. And they, they didn't even do it the second time, did they? When no, he, he tries no. to Columbo. Yeah, yeah, no. Which, Which is never that, a good idea. Right. Right, yes. And the way that was done was great, <laughs> by the way. They're sitting there having the dinner, and they say, oh, by the way, don't drink that. I switched the glasses. You're about to drink your own poison. That's that's poison. Don't die. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. But that also has another great line, uh, which is, I believe, right after now Columbo's caught him, and Gerard tells him, uh, I respect you, but I don't like you very much. And Columbo's response is, I don't like I don't like you either. Well, no, he said, you know, sir, I was thinking the same thing about you. So it's very polite. The way he says it, yeah. Well, actually, that whole thing uh, where he's explaining it to him, uh, he tells him, like, how, how soon did you suspect me? Uh, it was about two minutes after I met you. And the mm-hmm. way Columbo explains it to him is something you don't see very often either. He's almost kind of a bit condescending to him, acting like, yeah. you're an idiot. You were the most <laughs> obvious <laughs> idiot in the world. How, why would you have done this? Why would you have come right over? That's cr- Like, it seems almost, Columbo is almost incredulous at how he threw the suspicion upon himself right away, like in the first couple yeah. of minutes meeting him, which is a different thing. I, I was thinking about that before we got to the point where Columbo tells you how long he's been suspicious. I was, I was actually thinking that when Albert and Mario explained what had happened earlier in the night, that Columbo figured, all right, that's our murderer. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he like, knew it before he met him and then just had it confirmed a little, a little further into it. Right, right. Then just had to figure out what the method was. Right. Which then uh, was confirmed during the sushi dinner. Pretty much. This is absolutely. We talk every now and again about how. I, I, actually, I don't remember if I talked to you about this particular idea that if there was a show called the Columbo Court Case File, uh, that it would, <laughs> it would just be rich people getting off for killing people constantly. Yes, because much. the evidence is always so weak. I think this is one of the few where the guy would go to jail. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, definitely. It well, is it's absolutely hard to get around that. Eh? Yeah, definitely. This 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 one was pretty pretty solid. I think. Yeah. Oh, for one sure. One of the things that I really loved about this one is it really kind of. Oh, there's quite a few Columbo killers that fall into this, but um, one of you, at least one of you guys, are like a comic book guy, right? That would be me. Uh, maybe. <laughs> okay, I have a lot of affection for like the sort of Silver Age comic bad guys, especially. But there's a lot of superheroes too that fall into it, and it's like their whole superhero or villain persona is derived from their occupation. Yes, those are the right? best. Like, I'm, I'm good at shooting arrows, therefore I am the green arrow. Um, yes. You get into that, or, you know, I, 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 I'm pretty good with riddles. 
<laughs> and I love the Columbo villains that go into that too. It's like I know a lot about obscure food stuff. That's how the, I that's how I'm gonna kill a guy. Not that's a good own. have to kill somebody with that food out. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. It, it totally shows like the ego and and the absolute ridiculous self confidence that some of these guys have, right? Especially when the first scene when you see with Gerard. He's actually, like, taking Fugu apart. On so it's on videotape. It's on videotape. People could look at the TV guide the yeah. day before. It's like, oh, he's preparing Fugu, the poisonous fish. Mm-hmm. The fish that has deadly poison. And what he thinks of his viewers. Yeah. Yeah, good point. I don't understand. They're not paying attention to anything I'm doing anyway, as long as they're buying the friggin' crackers that I'm getting. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They as well have killed people with knockoff Ritz, basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that it's that bad. obvious. Yeah. He's going to have a really bad cough from dry crackers. So he's going to choke <laughs> on crackers. Well, that also, also uh, so, uh, there was something um, they have Gerard doing this, which is something I, I love in a Colombo episode. Uh, when they're uh, at the produce uh, stand, he starts doing the thing where, well, you know, maybe maybe it happened this way. Maybe maybe he died this way. Maybe this is how the murder happened. Like the really sad, pathetic way to try to throw Columbo off the trail, where they try to, well, here's my theory on it. Here's what I think happened. And Columbo is always very patient, like, oh, that's a very interesting theory. Sure, sure. When he's thinking, like, you, asshole, you're, I'm going to get you. Just give me another day. I've got you. But they always, always they try that. They always try that, trying to throw him off with their own stupid theories that make no sense and it never works no it, they should never do that they should never suggest any other alternative thing they should just act as stupid as humanly possible yes exactly yeah yeah uh, well, even though you're the cop let me tell you how i think this murder occurred <laughs> sure 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 let me tell you there's two things i'm really good at cooking food and murdering i mean solving murders huh. I uh, I just took the opportunity to look up what the fake rich crackers were called by the way they are bong snacks Ball bone snacks, yeah, yeah, yeah. B o n s n a x, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It looks terrible. It looks like a detergent box for some reason. Yeah, it it looks like oh well, we got to make it look kind of like the Ritz. All right, yeah. we'll call them that. It's so not peculiar. Oh, well, we have not talked about uh, what I think is the uh, wonderful. And you know what? I, I'm going to say right now, I avoided this episode for a while. This is easily one of my favorite Columbo episodes. For sure, it, it's up yeah. there, definitely. I love it. it. It was just, it was, it was a joy to watch. I'll say, it was just interesting. It was fun. The performances were great across the board. I, I, I liked it. But I, I was going to bring up uh, the the bank scene. Oh, I love that. Yes, I wanted to talk about that too. Actually, yeah, it was so peculiar. Uh, go ahead. Anybody wants to go first? There, that, that's yeah. I just wanted to talk about how big that coffee cake was. It was great yeah. and crazy, and they were so. Twice the size of Columbo's head. It was great, but I love how casual and breezy the whole thing was. That oh, whole yeah. scene, yeah. That's uh, there's a scene where when the uh, the secretary comes over, or whatever she is, the the teller. Yes, and she she's eating. She's not looking at either of the men. She's not looking. I think she's like casually holding some coffee cake and reading something off a piece of paper, and she's not even really facing the camera. She's kind of looking away from the camera in a close up. Yeah. Just cinematic. Just the that's way a, that's terrific. Yeah, the way it just it just felt like it just the whole thing felt so natural. Like it was a guy at a bank talking about stuff, and they were just dull eating coffee cake. Like even mm-hmm. these. What's well, the thing? Like I love that these. The, the, oh, sorry. Hmm? Yes. They're, they're like you know they're they're chewing and talking. They're having a fairly serious conversation, but the cake is keeping the mood light. Yes. And no one's shy about like talking and chewing at the same time. Yeah, which was such an interesting uh, choice to do it that way. I, I really like that. Yeah. Um, but also, I like that it extended the fact that uh, people loved uh, this Rossi guy all the way through to his bankers. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, they were buying him food. You know, they, they had the custom cake that they would bring. I know, yeah. Food. Like, even they had food for Colombo for this guy because he was trying to solve this guy's murder, which I thought was just. I, I guarantee if he had any reason to go to Vittorio's urologist, there would have been like a lasagna. Yes, there. probably. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't see where he's running around doing leg work. Yeah. <laughs> it's on the cutting room floor someplace. Uh, so, uh, so he used to park his car here? Uh, yeah, here. Uh, I've got some... Uh, 
It was roasted a turkey. Yeah. <laughs> I've got it I've got it in the uh, parking attendant booth right here. Here you go. I bet the I bet the bathroom attendants at his restaurant even had special mints for him. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> well beloved guy, uh, Vittorio Vava murdered dude. Why? Well, Cuz he seems so lovable and cuddly too. Right. Yeah, I he know. He sounds like a Sasquatch being fed into a wood chipper. But everybody <laughs> loved him. Everybody loved him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I really like that the introduction to like the three restaurateurs at the beginning is just them having a like a midday meal just bitter watching the TV set. Yeah. This dark uh, the bar at this, uh, this this dark Chinese restaurant just watching this jerk that they're resentful of on the TV. It's like all right, you Oh yeah, they're hate watching him. They don't have yes. to watch him. No, they don't no. have to at all. No. They are, yeah. They're hate. They're hate watching this his show. His little cooking. His little cooking show. It's the same well, that's thing. That's the I thing that I wonder about the like the whole nature of the extortion scheme. Yeah, it's only three restaurants. I still don't get that. Well, I think it's got to be more than them, but those are like the three that are closest or something. But it's not just those guys that are like benefiting necessarily because what you got to kind of assume there too is that he's probably giving deliberately bad reviews to up and coming places. Oh, to keep them. Oh, that's a good point. Well, yes, because this is L.A. It's a pretty competitive dining scene, right? Seventies, right? Yeah, oh. and so probably like the implication is there's probably a lot of like earnest, really talented people that are getting deliberately overlooked or out or kicked to the curb because of this. Yeah, that's oh, right? I didn't even think about that. That's interesting because that that casts the extortion victims in a much grimmer light. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, that's just because I'm a competitive restaurant guy. No, but you're prob- no, but no, that that is my enemy. But you know, it makes it makes total sense that it would work that way. Yes, it really does. Yeah. Oh my goodness, those jerks. Yeah, so they were yeah, they, they were doing it to save. Like you can't vote against your belly, right? So they had to save their own restaurants. But yeah, they would have been complicit in keeping. And basically, some restaurants must have folded as part of this scheme. Oh, probably yes. So they they certainly sent some people into bankruptcy. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh. Oh, Richard Dysart. <laughs> oh. You're so avuncular in the kitchen, even though you don't let anyone touch your parsley. Goodness. Oh, no, 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 I don't feel sorry for these uh, these chumps at all. They got what the they deserve. The only 100% good people in this episode are Albert and Mario. And Mako. And Mako. He's, He's so happy. Fine. He's so What's happy. He was amazing. It's, I, I usually just seen him do it like... an arch-cliche Asian character. Right? Although I was going to ask, along with Louis Jordan, what's what's your definitive Mako role? Oh boy, uh, Tucker, man in his dream. Ooh, uh, really? He was in. Wow. Yeah, he's he's like a, he's like an engineer in that. I'm I'm yeah. just impressed. Wow. Okay, that's great. I actually have never seen Tucker. I was just impressed. That it's that it's it doesn't hold up very well. But yeah, mine, but he's mine is the, mine's Hold the that tiger, man. Hold that tiger. That's Hold that it. tiger. Mine, mine's the Conan movies. Yeah, I've never right seen that. I've never seen those, so I don't know. Oh my, what the what? I'm not, I, I'm not a big fan of sword and sorcery stuff. Shut up. I'm, I am coming right. to Philly. Okay. You've never seen the first For that? Oliver Stone screenplay directed yeah, by John yeah. Milius. It's practically an art film. Oh, John Milius did that? I didn't, I didn't know that. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah, we're. I'm coming out there with a VHS tape because I, I <laughs> have to watch tape. Conan on VHS. <laughs> Unless you hear the tape rolling while you're watching it, <laughs> see the see the occasional like hiccups in the thing. Yeah, right. adjust uh, the tracking during the camel right. punching scene. <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Uh, oh, so we were talking about Jonathan Demi earlier. I have one. I have one trivia fact about his directing career that I didn't mention. Which is that he has one episode of Saturday Night Live under his belt, but unfortunately, it's an it's an SNL eighty episode. Well, it seems strange. Did he direct a short film during the episode, or did he actually direct the live show? Because I honestly, odd. I honestly don't know. I just saw it on his IMDb. Weird. And they didn't they didn't specify. I, I'd wonder which one it is. I've always kind of wanted to do a rewatch of SNL eighty. Is it available anyplace? Oh, it's on Hulu, I think. Right? It's Maybe? possibly on Hulu. Because I, th- I, th- I think edited... I think he got I think uh, Lord Michaels got over pretending that never happened in a million years. Yeah, an interest of selling ad time on internet watching stuff. So I I honestly don't know. 
what he did, it would kind of be worth checking out again. Okay. You're a braver man than I. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, Oh, here it is. Actually, I do have the notes here. It was uh, Elliot Gould was hosting. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. And it was a a segment called Gidget Goes to Hell. Oh, dear. (laughs) I'm sure it was hilarious. That sounds so tremendously like the kind of crap that got onto SNL during the 80s, yeah. during 1980. Is he to hell by a night goliath? Yes. <laughs> That's really the question. That's right? what it was. Hell <laughs> is nothing but night goliaths, and it's always night. Uh, something, uh, before, before we uh, start wrapping things up here, um, I, I brought up on, on Twitter a while back, uh, speaking of, and Alda being in the program. Uh, the fact that, man, wouldn't it have been neat if, if Alan Alda had been a murderer on one of the oh, Columbos? Oh, a good one. Oh! Um, so... Into something I wanted to bring up. Oh, okay. Well, uh, go with yours first there. Oh, oh, well, okay, you've been playing some Columbo fantasy casting. Yes. Um, and particularly with an eye to, you know, people that could play Columbo. And <laughs> I have some thoughts about that. Okay. But, what about fantasy casting for people that you would like to see play the killer? Well, it's funny you should say that, because uh, we were talking about the Alan Alda thing for the show, and John brought up the fact that maybe we could ask our folks listening at home to... John? Oh, was I to do it? Oh, sure, uh, sure. You're the one who brought it up and then we sure. were talking before. Fan- fantasy cast like your, you just said, yeah. your Columbo murderer. Yes, so if you want to email those to us at Columbo at thestudydesk.net, or uh, just leave them in comments on this episode... Uh, or even uh, do them at us on, on the Twitter, at J-O-M-T Podcast. Yeah, uh, let us know your ideas for people who would have been good, like in the uh, uh, 70s, uh, 90s, early 2000s, who would have been around then, as you think, like, oh, that would have been a, that person would have been a good Columbo murderer. Eh, we'll, we'll Robert read Mitchum. We'll, we'll, oh, Robert Mitchum. Yeah, oh, that would be good. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we'll read a few on the air. I, uh, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say young Chris Walken. Oh, geez, yeah. It might have been overpowering, and uh, I think he probably was too successful as a movie actor at this point, although my one of my favorite roles of his remains a guest appearance on The Saint. Oh, okay. Uh, I'd say Donald Sutherland. Oh, geez. Oh, oh geez, yeah. he would have been great. Holy crap. <laughs> Sutherland and Falk? 70s, a, yeah. 70s Donald Sutherland with like the, the crazy afro and the mustache mm-hmm. and everything? Still doing his hipster talk? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my. Oh, yeah. oh, man, that would have been awesome. Holy cow. So, yeah, folks, listeners, our fine listeners at home, please send them in. I'm sorry, Alan, what? Could he have played, like, an evil masseuse? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. We Just should, with we that stash in his what face. They are. Like, murders, <sighs> yeah. Oh, murders a masseuse. We should Poison go, oil. Yeah, we should go as far as to actually pick out their, like, their careers and why they're murdering. Too. All right. Well, there you go, folks. There's, there's, your, assi- there's your homework assignment. Tell us who you think a good murderer would have been in an episode of Columbo uh, taking place, you know, when the show was actually on in its various forms. And uh, what, what do you think that the plot might have been? Uh, two sentences. We'll do it that way. It's an elevator pitch, people. We're not asking, we're not asking for a treatment. We're asking for an elevator pitch. That's it. Okay, uh, Alan, you were going to say uh, you also had a suggestion uh, for ongoing uh, recasting Columbo in current times. Oh, idea. okay. First of all, I'm really big into the idea of the uh, having different actors playing him in like almost limited series kind of way. Oh yes, the Ortberg theory. Yes. Yeah. Well, as it will like, come to be known. Take a true detective kind of a thing. You know, you have oh like, yes, eighteen six episodes or something like that, um, and you know you have your your script written around the actor that would be playing him. And, or her, and uh, or a Columbo concept, and make it tight and self-contained. Another creative crew can come in after that and do it the next year, or do it on Netflix or Amazon or whatever. That's and, that's uh, a good idea. I would a, a guy that I think would be really good in the role, who is probably far from a household name, is an actor named AJ Bowen. AJ Bowen, hmm. sort of a genre stalwart in recent years uh but he's one of these chameleon like actors he's not like a pretty boy actor by any stretch of the imagination oh, oh I see, yeah i look at the photo yeah he seems familiar i've seen him in something or other yeah yeah you've seen like uh 
over some bigger ones that he was in. Uh, some, uh, You're Next. Or he's in a lot of horror movies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's never played the same role twice. Oh, okay. I think he would be... Got an interesting look, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm looking at something, something. What's the sacrament? Is that John Goodman in something? What is the sacrament? Oh. Hey, oh, that was, that, oh, that not to get us too off track. Oh, wait, no, it's not. It's somebody else. Oh, sorry. It guys. does look like John Goodman. Although, oh, it's I was Gene just, Jones. I won't, I won't go very long on this, but do you guys remember when there was a sitcom on TV that featured CGI animated lions, and I think John Goodman did the voice of one of them? Yes, no. In fact, uh, the, the lions were actually based, uh, Siegfried and Roy's lions. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I just, yeah. I just wanted to check oh, to see boy. if it was hallucinating. And I think, I think the show... Uh, You're was, messing with my no, head. the show was developed, and I think it, they still put it out after uh, the one guy got mauled by one of their lions. Yeah, yeah, they still thought it was good. I think it was like Pride of the Family or something, Pride or something like that. Uh, I don't Pride know. Pride and Prejudice, I think. Yeah, yes, that was it. Siegfried and Roy's Pride and Prejudice. Because <laughs> so, you can do anything you want with those books now, I guess. Ugh. I'm sorry, Alan. What was that? It's about. It was about racist CGI lions. Yes, it's <laughs> yes. yes, it's called White Pride. Oh no! <laughs> white supremacist lions. Oh dear! Voiced by John Goodman. Goodness it's a fantastic gracious! Show. I'm shocked it didn't go. That's it. it we questions that only That's the last episode, everybody. Yeah, it was only it was an American show. It tells you anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Want to be on CDC? It's no, it's no little hobo. Little hobo is the littlest hobo. Littlest, littlest hobo. hobo. Littlest there's, hobo. There's no hobo smaller than the littlest hobo. <laughs> it's the tiniest hobo you could ever... Of all the hobos, it's the littlest. They're uh, planning a modern remake called the Nanotech Hobo. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> he just gets inside your stuff. body, solves your problems, you don't even know what happened. <laughs> and then next day he's just moving on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alright, so I, I've, got, I've got a pretty good idea of how this is going to go, but let's go around and just kind of <clears throat> uh, your your general impression was this a good Columbo or was it a bad Columbo or was it an okay Columbo? Uh, Alan, uh, go first. Uh, I would call this a really good Columbo. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, it's one of the things that I said in that piece that I wrote is that kind of the definition of a good Columbo is one that hits the elements of the formula that we all expect but is able to deviate from them enough to keep it interesting and i think it checks off all those blocks in this case you know what i i'm not going to bother going because that's ex- exactly what i thought too john i i'm only going to go just to say i would give it nine and a half uh uh ducks galatine hey <laughs> uh it really is a fantastic episode oh, it's it, again it hits it hits those Columbo notes it hits the you get you get the flavor, the bouquet of Columbo, but oh. it is a slightly different show. It's it's just a lot of fun to watch, and oh, it's, there's it's, it's a lot to pick out of it too. If you you listen to the soundtrack one time through, watch the cinematography one time through, mm-hmm. there's just a lot to pick up. Yeah, it's a good episode. I, I I'm very glad I finally watched this one. I'm I'm very happy uh, to, to I was happy to see this one again because sometimes because I usually try to watch it um, a couple times through. And sometimes, like, oh boy, I gotta watch this one. I just saw it a couple of days ago. This one, I was, I was very, I had no problem whatsoever. I was excited to watch this Columbo once again. So, thank you for bringing it to our attention, Mister McPherson. Um, uh, my pleasure. And uh, thank you for being on the show. And uh, so, uh, if folks want to find out more uh, about your pop-up restaurant series, it's a uh, picnichfx.com. And uh, do what? What's when is the next one going to be? And uh, what will the theme be for that one? Oh, well, tomorrow night I'm doing a thing at an art gallery where we're tying into an art show. Actually, we're probably posting this one um, uh, March 30th or 31st, so what would be the next one after that? Uh, Well, funny enough, once we (laughs) clear Easter, I'm actually, this whole experience is, I have written up a Columbo-themed menu. What? Oh, snap! The Goodness. title of which will be, uh, that's a lovely menu you have there. Nice. <laughs> nice. And the dessert course will be called That's Just One More Thing. Uh, hi. Nice. Great. And, uh, I will, uh, the venue location is yet to be determined. Okay. But uh, I would be happy to email you a copy of the menu when I have it. No, uh, send it to us. 
we will put it on the site. We will uh, post it to the Twitter. We will do whatever we can to tell folks about it. Because I know we do have some folks uh, up in Canada who listen to the program. So if they were nearby, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll def- let us know. We will definitely get it out there to people because they should know about it. Oh, that's fun. That's great. Oh, cool. Well, yes, uh, thank you again uh, for doing the show. It's nice to have uh, some of some expertise in the uh, uh, the world in which the episode is taking place. Uh, kind of give some like deeper uh, deeper look at things. But yeah, thank well, you very I much. have killed a lot of people with fish kidneys. Oh, well, there you go. Good. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> uh, well, and thank you, folks, uh, for listening to the program. Uh, we took some time off for a bit, but we're back uh, for hopefully a pretty consistent run here. Uh, if you wanted to listen to uh, Just One More Thing, new episodes or old, you can always do it at the citydesk.net slash just one more thing or in the TV and film section of the podcast area on iTunes. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's J-O-M-T Podcast. Uh, we've got a Tumblr, too, teamcolumbo.tumblr.com. And, of course, we always like to get emails uh, from you folks, columbo at the citydesk.net, especially now that you have an assignment to try to think of who would have been good Columbo villains and what the heck they would have done. So thank you for listening. I'm R.J. White. I'm John Morris. And we'll uh, talk to you next time. Thanks. Oh, listen, just one more thing.